Hey, hey, welcome into another episode of Stub Me Now. My name is JW, and of course, as always, I'm here with my best friend and a little salty co-host today, Skinny. <laughs> I don't know, maybe he's still recovering from his Peach Fest adventure. It's great to see you, buddy. Today is episode eight of Stub Me Down. Skinny, say hello to the people. Be nice. I am nice. I'm actually going to start out in gratitude. Thank God you mentioned Peach. There's so many people that we, we just want to shout out. T, Billy, my wife, Scott, Casey, which, you know, is going to bring us to some other places today, but had a great time. Ziggy Marley was a highlight for me um, after being in Jamaica, obviously, and then our episode this season. And then My Morning Jacket was amazing. Les Claypool was great. Goose was amazing. Listen, man, I can't keep up. By the time I saw you at Trey in Baltimore, music weary. And I'm going to New York in two weeks. Yeah. <laughs> well, but festivals are a different breed, as you know, and I'm sure a lot of people that have been to a festival are aware. It is you wake up and what's the lineup? And you're literally going band to band to band from, you know, noon or whenever until... Uh, we were like three or four. Right. I'm sure you weren't necessarily catching everything in the afternoon, just based on interest, too. But, yeah. um, you know, maybe a little bit more recovery time was needed in between um, events. But it's also a lot of walking. You know, it's it's there's a lot packed into those couple of days, four days, I guess you guys were there. So yeah. that's yeah. a long-ass festival. And honestly, bro, that's one of the reasons why I haven't been to a festival since probably that last time we went to All Good. <laughs> I know. And you know, what's funny about that is like people, you know, what did you do this summer already? You know, it's midsummer. Uh, I went to Petra. Oh my God. How many days? Blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, where is it? I'm like Scranton, which by the way, we went to Cooper's, which is awesome in downtown Scranton, did the whole office kind of tour, saw pen paper. So <laughs> nice. You got to hang out there people. But anyway, I don't know how I do it either. Cause I can't do it at that pace. Almost 53 now, bro. I can't, I, I need my rest. <laughs> I pick out the shit that I want to see and then, you know, it's on. So, but it was a great time. I, it was fabulous. It was a lot of really, really good people and it was chill. And speaking of Peach, ran into Ryan Storm, who was on our last episode. Gracious dude. It was great to have him on. That was a great episode. I, I loved listening to that. Yeah, great segue into our last episode, Skinny. We did have Ryan Storm on, and he stubbed us down on a goose show from the 930 Club back in March of 2022. March 1st, 2022 was the first of two nights that Goose played there. I just love that kid's enthusiasm. He loves music. He has a tremendous amount of knowledge about music for somebody his age. Yeah. You know, my music knowledge, which is still quite modest, has been developed over basically his entire lifetime and well shit dude you know what he's as old as we've been hanging out yes he's 23 yeah, yeah. 24 right so yeah, i mean yeah, something like that yeah that that to me too was the crazy part about him yeah he was born the year you went to your first fish show what's awesome about it too i ran into his dad at peach fast on i think the last day and his dad was real gracious too so you see where he gets that from and also he got a lot of shit for singing at a show at SPAC. And the last thing I'm going to say about that is, yeah, okay, so now we can't have fun. Whatever. Fuck off, everybody. 
<laughs> you know, I made a note about that, Skinny, because there's a couple of things at play, specifically with Ryan, right? He's young. The band is fucking shouting him out, you know, from the stage. Right. So I think there's some jealousy maybe that's out there. The tweet in question, yeah, sure. Um, But you know what? <sighs> Come on. I get it, too. Yeah. The tweet in question was something like, and I'm... I'm paraphrasing here i don't have the exact quote and i'm not going to shout out the tweeter you can you can go and fucking find it but he said something along the lines of what's worse chomping or singing and ryan was singing i think silver rising which is a great song which everybody wants to fucking sing along to right you're talking you're howling at the moon and shit you know it's a tweet dude it's not a quote (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah. And it sparked a conversation about fan behavior and what is considered acceptable and what is not. And you know what? Look, man, everybody can find something to fucking bitch about about somebody at a show, right? I fucking don't like chompers. But guess what, man? If the people that are hanging out in front of us are haven't seen each other, they're at a show, they're doing whatever they're doing – like, it's a free fucking country. They paid the same amount of money. If they don't want to pay attention to the music, that's their decision. But what are you going to do? Scream at them? You can't tell everybody to shut up. And, like, you know, eventually you might have to say, hey, man, you know, would you mind holding your conversation, talking a little bit? You have to say, please be quiet. <laughs> right. You have to say it in a different way. On the other side, the singing. Man, if you hate on people that sing at a fucking concert, I got to You know, come on, man. It's a concert. Singing along is like part and parcel with going to see live music. I remember actually, I think we were at Magna Ball and it was like the first day and I was super excited. It was when we met the Josh and Jason. Yeah, 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 yeah. The two guys that were just like you. Do you remember that? So it was Josh and Jason and then me and J.O., Josh and Jason and... I was, I don't even remember what song it was. It was like the fucking third song of the show. I'm like belting it out. And the guy was like, dude, you're singing really loud. And I was like, I'm fucking excited. (laughs) I I think that there's a a certain levity that I think people need to fucking bring to these things. And trying to shame somebody for singing along with the band or saying that it's as bad as, you know, a couple of frat bros that, uh, you know, are just there to pound beers and look at chicks. Take their shirts off. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> right. It's a, I think it's a little bit different. There's a little bit more nuance there. And of course, Fish Twitter took it and ran with it. And um, that was an entertaining two days. For a couple of days. <laughs> yeah. Shit. Maybe even more than that. You know, if people want to fucking police other people at the show, how about fucking pick up your goddamn trash afterwards? Uh, I agree. You know? All right. Now, wait a minute. You. <laughs> Sorry, that's a tangent. I know. You said that I was going to start off the show salty. Look at you now. Sorry. I know. (laughs) Anyway, Skinny. I love you. Today's so fun. I I love you, too. (laughs) I haven't been on tour yet. Fish is touring now. We're going to talk about that as we get into today's episode because there's um, some interesting parallels between the show that we're going to be talking about today and some of the music that Fish has just wrapped up with in Georgia. But today, Skinny, we got an awesome guest joining us on our eighth episode of season four. Now, if you have listened to Stummy Down in the last, what, 
two and a half years, you've definitely heard us mention this guy. He is a new friend of mine. He's been friends with Christian for a little bit longer, but it is our skinny great pleasure to welcome in Fan Design's own, that's Fan Design's with a Z, Fan Design's own Scott Mitchell to Stumby Down. Scott, thank you so much for joining us, man. It's great to see you, buddy. Oh my gosh, the pleasure's all mine, guys. I really appreciate all the shout outs on all the previous shows. And uh, I love when you say Fan Design's with a Z, skinny. So <laughs> thank you for that, just so there's no confusion or whatever. But the pleasure's all mine to be here. And thank you guys so much for all of your kindness and support over the last few years i gave it away a little bit but we were obviously at peach and if people out there like it's a little bit of nepotism so <laughs> scott's scott's beautiful wife casey is friends with my beautiful wife amy and then we all got together a couple years ago and then scott was doing this fan designs and we were starting a podcast and then we just started seeing shows together just reaching out all the time about tour, especially after COVID and things like that. We were seeing shows, I think maybe even, what was that, Meriwether, like 18? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. We like reconnected and, and Amy told you guys to come down to the house. It was just, that kind of stuff is like, that's the opposite of what we were just ranting about <laughs> prior to introducing you. <laughs> but, you know, I love you. So we're so glad to have you on too, man. It's amazing. Yeah. And I mean, that's how I met JW, I think, for the first time as well at one of those fish pre-parties, the, the legendary pre-parties, uh, pre-MPP parties anyway. Uh, so hopefully we're bringing those back soon. A little disappointed that there's no MPP on this tour, but uh, hopefully we'll get back there soon and we'll get back to your house to to pre-party, man. It's been a lot of fun. So let's do a four-night run. <laughs> yeah, please. I'm pretty sure they did all those renovations to MPP just for fish. You know, all the... I don't know if you guys have ever seen the backstage stuff that they built. They put a pool in and a hotel and everything. Yeah. I think yeah. Fish took mm -hmm. advantage of that more than a lot of other bands that just come in for the night. So hopefully they uh, they get back there soon. Well, Scott, so we'll kind of start in the present tense and work a little bit backwards here. So we've talked about you a lot. Obviously, we're friends, but we've talked a lot about fan designs. And you've got some really fucking cool shit on your website. No doubt. I'm wearing his hat right now. <laughs> Skinny's wearing a hat. I've got a Game Henge National Park t-shirt on. I've got a hat, a different hat. You have a lot of cool gear. You've got that antelope shirt on. I see that antelope hat all over the parking lots. My first question is, what is it like when you like cruise around to a show and you see like a design that you've put out there and people are rocking your stuff. Yeah, I got to say, I see it all over the place because I kind of know your style a little bit. How does that feel to, you know, see you kind of all over the place? Yeah, I love that question because it's one of the most rewarding things, you know, as a as an artist or somebody that's putting stuff out there in the market to see people adopt it, you know, through sales and those kinds of things is fun, but at shows when you run into somebody, it's it's amazing. And, you know, for the last several years, my wife has really been the fan design spotter. <laughs> um, you know, I'm a little shy and, and humble, but we were, you know, we were at Sweetwater 420 last year and she found these two guys in line 
at, in the beer line and dragged them all the way back to where I was standing just so that she could introduce them. And, you know, they were thrilled to meet me for whatever reason. And I was thrilled to see them, you know, sporting the goose, I think it was uh, two goose shirts that they had on. So it's just, it's a ton of fun. And, you know, I give out a ton of free stuff as well. And at Peach, I made a specific sticker for Peach Festival and handed out about 250 of those. And I was running around the lawn with the stickers above my head and people were literally chasing me down and asking for them, you know, you know, partly because they're free, but partly because they're fans or whatnot and they wanted one. So, you know, it's just a lot of fun to see that. And we're always eyeing the professional photos at goose shows and fish shows and eggy shows and stuff for people in the audience that, you know, have the the gear on and I reach out to them and oftentimes we'll send them a free sticker or something else of, of value in the mail just to, to thank them for uh, for sporting the gear. That's, that's awesome. Listen, Josh and I have always talked about like designing t-shirts or whatever. I mean, I'll give you a thousand ideas and you'll shoot them all down <laughs> well not designing t-shirts it's like walking around and being like oh here's another idea for a t-shirt and then we forget it five minutes later <laughs> right I, I think one of them skinny was the goose is loose right you brought that one to me uh not too long ago <laughs> yeah no that was josh release the geese the release the geese or release the geese yeah <laughs> I don't disagree with it, but these are like parking lot conversations. So I never, and Josh never, we would talk about it. Obviously we talk about this stuff all the time. Like you're in the lot, you're talking about what would a good t-shirt be? And then how did you get into design? Like where did the design of doing this and like, what was the, uh, the jumping off point? Yeah. Well, like what was your jumping off point? Yeah. Yeah. Well, the Genesis. Yeah. Yeah. I'm a, yeah. I'm, you know, I'm Jewish and Catholic Genesis. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's it's kind of a funny background. Um, I don't know. Have you guys ever heard of? Um, so there was a guy back in the late '90s named uh, Sean. I think his real name was Sean Knight, but he went by Waldo. And he went by Waldo because he actually dressed up like Waldo at fish shows, like in the late nineties, he came up with some of the, like the most iconic, I'll call them like pun shirts, you know, where you, which is really prevalent in the fish community and the grateful dead community. The, the, yeah. The Simpsons and all that shit. Yeah, no, absolutely. Great point. And he, he did like the bouncing shirt that was bounce, you know, he did one of my favorite shirts of all time, which I was never able to acquire, but was always always on a uh, quest, which was the glide shirt, mm. which was tied glide is like one of my all time top, you know, five fish songs. And I was always chasing that shirt. But this is like back in the 90s, right? There's no internet. It was really hard to find things unless you were at a show. And we didn't run into him. But we ran into people that had some of his shirts on at the Clifford Ball. And I spent the majority of my experience at the Clifford Ball trying to find the, you know, him walking around in the in the campground and things like that, selling those shirts so I could grab them. So he's got a whole bunch of those like under his belt that he did for a long time. He uh, was uh, used to go by Jam Goods for a while. And then I think he has a new brand now and some other things. So, you know, I got inspired by that. I always had an affinity for graphic design. I'm a little bit of like a pencil artist or a freehand artist, but not, you know, not a crazy uh, good one. More of an idea instead of a sketch. 
Yeah. So usually, you know, I've always kind of navigated towards using computer design and graphic design and those kinds of principles on my computer. And when I was in, you know, middle school and high school, I really enjoyed doing that. I, you know, do something completely different for my, my real full-time job. And it became, it ended up becoming an outlet for me to like sit down the last couple of hours of the day when I'm trying to unwind from a stressful job to kind of come up with ideas and craft things. And my original shirts that I came up with kind of in the, you know, in the mid 2000s, just before the hiatus, and then didn't do much, obviously, during the hiatus. And then when Fish came back, got kind of re-inspired to do them. They were all kind of like those, you know, brand pun shirts. Right. And the first one that I came up with was a Walmart shirt that said Wombat. And on the back of it, it said had to have that, which I thought was perfect for like the Walmart theme. Perfect. Right. And I, you know, sold a few of those. And that's back when I was kind of like stocking shirts and doing all that stuff. And, you know, shirts aren't like the easiest thing to make and sell because they're different sizes and colors and, you know, they're kind of hard to stock. So that's how I kind of got navigated into it. And then I would say like back in 2013 is when things really started to take off. I actually opened an Etsy store and started to publishing my stuff that way and got really involved in a lot of, you know, different groups on Facebook that allow you to go in and post those kinds of things. And I started to navigate away from doing like the pun shirts to just doing my own art. I had a bunch of ideas in my head, but also, you know, there's all kinds of like infringement law and stuff like that. So I always try to stay within the guardrails of what bands accept or allow you to do with larger bands. Sometimes those guardrails are kind of published with smaller bands. I actually reach out to their management. Like when I started doing eggy stuff and I've been doing some, you know, have some concepts for dogs in a pile and some of like the upcoming jam bands and they're all really open to it because they see it as an opportunity to kind of get their message out there a little bit more broadly. But you know, there's guardrails, like they don't want you to use their logo and they don't want you to steal their IP and you know, those kinds of things. So I always try to stay above board and within those guardrails, it makes sense. But you know, that's, that's kind of how it all got started. Well, I know your way above board (laughs) (laughs) yeah yeah thanks no i appreciate that you know you've got shirts you've got apparel right but then you've also got some other forms of art one of the things we talked about on numerous occasions just in passing and at shows is you creating pins there's a pin hat joke in here somewhere (laughs) right because there's somebody out there that's that's probably wearing you know all of your pins or is trying to (laughs) trying to fill up a hat with all of your pins but talk a little bit about being artistic and creating pins for bands and using songs as vehicles that's a completely different medium than making a poster or putting something funny on a t-shirt yeah. right um so talk a little bit about that process and and kind of how you landed there as far as um, yeah. you know that being your maybe preferred medium. Yep. So I, I personally started to get into pin collecting through pigeons playing ping pong. They were producing a lot of pins, you know, probably, uh, was it like maybe seven, eight years ago? I'm not a huge pin wearer. So like the, the joke around, you don't have a hat that has all of your pins on it. I don't have a hat that has all my pins on it. No, but I probably have over 150 or so, pins that I've collected over the years. And I'm usually like a one or two at, at most pin on the hat guy, but you know, there are people there that really embrace it and 
put hats all around the back and the front and everything else. I think, you know, I was doing shirts for a while and then I started getting into stickers. And the one thing that I found when I tried to take like a shirt design and put it into a sticker is you have to compress the design. And there's things that you can do on a shirt because the medium's much larger that you can't really do on a sticker. And then after I started kind of going through that design process of figuring that out, I decided to make my first pin I have to go back and look, but I think it was maybe about five years ago, I made my first like fan art pin and it was a pigeons playing ping pong inspired pin. And I loved the design constraints of trying to fit something in like a two inch, you know, medium and just thinking about how you capture the essence of a song or a lyric or a concept, because it doesn't always have to be specifically related to a song around a band in that tiny little medium. And I did a, a few of those pins on my own to kind of get experience with the whole process and like what works and what doesn't work and all that. And I sold a few of them. So it was kind of like a self-funding project. And then I got a, a great break from one of my favorite bands, Eggy. Got to know those guys really well over the last several years. And I sent them a few designs and they you know, gravitated towards two designs. And that was the first, you know, official band project that I did where I designed something, I put their logo on it, I send all the product to them, they pay me as an artist, and they release the pins and sell them on their own. That's awesome. And that process, yeah, I mean, it was amazing to have that opportunity. I know a, a lot of designers who, you know, are arguably better designers than me that are still looking for that kind of opportunity. But, um, you know, it fell on my lap and and embraced it. And they've been selling those pins on tour for the last year or so. And I think they're close to completely being sold out. And that led to a project with Spafford and uh, a few other projects in the that I have in the works now. I also did an official pin for this up and coming band called Tanned, which is they're just embarking on a pretty big uh, Northeast tour in the next um, couple of months, uh, early fall. So super excited about that. Yeah, I was just looking at that. That's the one that has uh, all these flowers. It kind of looks like a compass rose or a clock face. I mean, that's really sick. And I really like the Spafford diesel driver. Scott sent us a photo. No one can see it, but you can look up Scott's stuff. No, they can see it. Well, see, we're on video. Yeah, Uh, Yeah, but you can't really see your phone on video. We'll post this on uh, our social media. Well, you can see that pin at Spafford shows. I think they only have about three, maybe two left uh, now. The last time I saw them here in Leesburg, Virginia, they only had like one or two. Uh, left. So that pin did quite well, but that's a new song off their, their last album and was really drawn to that song. And I mean, it, it wasn't a, a huge stretch to take Diesel Driver and put it on a rig and put the name Spafford on it and do some creative things around the, the design to make it kind of look cool and sparkly and, yeah. and pretty. But that was, a you know, again, a super fun project and been real fortunate to kind of take that launching pad that Eggy gave me. And I come up with the idea, I design it, send it to the band's management work out a deal and then you know sometimes they like them and sometimes they don't but that's you know that's all part of the process sure and that's the best part that i liked what you said they're paying for the art it's the art it's your design the fact that art is paid for that just means to me a lot because i'm a big fan of 
not only art but music and and plays and and draw whatever it is yeah but for somebody to say hey i like the way that you do this i'm gonna pay you for your art you know that's uh for me it's a very baltimore thing you know we had artscape and like plenty of shit out there where people had their own designs like locally in baltimore when i was a kid growing up and uh mm -hmm. that means the world to me because uh i just think that's awesome and for eggy shout out to eggy too was, hey man if they're gonna give you a shot spafford too and then they want you to do something like that i mean fuck it why wouldn't you yeah absolutely got two projects i can't talk about in the works but you'll see them posted shortly for for two other bands great great bands that are up and coming that i just fall in love with so i mean for me like to your point um skinny like to do something because you like doing it but then have other people like it enough to put a monetary value on it is like super rewarding and gratifying it's also like super humbling at the same time because yeah i just started doing design because it was an outlet for uh, otherwise stressful you know, corporate job, right? It kind of unloaded my mind at the end of the day and, you know, did all that stuff. I'd throw music on, I'd get inspired by a lyric or a song or something like that. And I'd literally sit there for hours thinking about the meaning of that and turning it into something. And I think we've talked about this, I think, among our friends before, but I think one of the the things that I really miss about music today is the fact that it's really hard to get like liner notes and those kinds of things. Yeah. You know, back when I was first getting, you know, going with music a lot younger than I am now in the eighties and things like that. I loved the process of like a new album coming out, going to buy it, sitting down and putting it in, you know, the tape deck or the CD player and reading the liner notes as you're going through and really thinking about the meaning of the music, how it's resonating, like what it means to you. And I always love like bands and, and bands do it today too, but bands used to always say, hey, you know, the lyrics mean what they mean to each individual person. Yeah because it yeah. means something to them, but they allow you as the listener to kind of put your own spin on it and make it your own. And I always loved that process. And I think, you know, digital music's great. Like when I used to trade fish tapes, you know, you'd have to wait weeks, months for a show to come out on tape to get access to it and then find somebody else that had that show that wanted a show that you had and like, you know, trading tapes and all that. And now like, the plus side of digital music is download it right away and have access to it right away. Right. It's instantaneous. Right. Yeah, exactly. I don't think we've cracked the code on like how you deliver that meaning. In all seriousness, that's the one thing that's different. I, I really think that's a valuable point here because, you know, as Scott's talking and I'm like, I'm literally thinking back to like, getting Guns N' Roses, you know, Use Your Illusion 1 and 2 and sitting down in front of my CD player and like reading through the book as the song plays and that we skinny we talked about this with Ryan Storm like I don't fucking know like any of the goose lyrics. I can't I, I don't know what they're fucking saying. <laughs> you do if you listen to the song a million times, but I'm like the the first run through of a tune with a book in your hand that's got the lyrics is a little bit different. I just wanted to, you know, like it really accentuate that point because that is such a, a significant difference in listening to new music now. Cause now, you know, you know, maybe you Google it. Kids these days aren't sitting in front of their fucking stereo with this, you know, CD case in their hand while they play the new album. But the lyrics also don't come out right away and they're not always right on those like lyric sites and stuff. So like, you know, I have noticed that some bands put all their lyrics out on their main page 
and that allows you to kind of go through them like Eggy does that and a few other bands that I listened to Eggy just kind of came to mind Goose has Ted Honks and he does his best of like putting all those lyrics together and they put some of them on online as well so there you know there are ones that you can listen to there but I think JW like the first listen to me was always like that special experience sitting on the floor with yeah, the liner notes yeah. and listening to the album for the first time. And like, you know, how would you know what November rain was about? One of my favorite albums of all time. This might be like the first time I've said it, but I think I've said it on this podcast is breakfast in America has some really insane lyrics. And that's what used to catch you on to the entire album. And I remember breakfast in America, queen, rolling stones the liner notes the inserts all of that i feel like what you're trying to connect to and i hope i'm right is that that's what gave you the experience to do these ideas yeah those ideas came from that place yep absolutely yeah yeah kind of planted the seed yeah and look we're like we're making it sound easier than it is and i'll tell you like it sounds really easy to me, but uh, I could tell, and I'm not saying that it's like overly hard either, or that I'm like exceptionally talented because I never believe that. But you know, for every idea that I sell, you know, a lot of shirts or a pin around, you know, there's 10, 15 ideas that I mess around with, and I, you know, the nice thing nowadays is like you can do shirts on demand. So I put a concept out there. I'll usually let it sit out there for like three months, and if like nobody buys it. I get the point that, you know, it's just not resonating. I'll pull it back and take it down. The nice thing for artists like me nowadays is like that process doesn't cost a lot of money. When I first got started, I used to have to buy like 10 or 20 shirts. And if they didn't sell, like that was sunk, you know, investment, right? It was like sitting around. But nowadays there's storage (laughs) are (laughs) us. Yeah, yeah. And I have a few shirts behind me that I did that with, you know, like I have a lost dog shirt I have that I did as a as a fish concept that never went anywhere. My my famous fail that even my fish fans who are like above 100 shows, I had to explain it to them, which I knew right away, like if they don't get it. I'm, you know, I'm never going to sell this shirt was a character zero shirt that I did. <laughs> and I know, char- I know character zero is a little sensitive on this uh, podcast, but uh, a character zero shirt didn't sell. No fucking way. You know, maybe for the right reasons. <laughs> it was a very unusual character zero shirt. Like the, the straightforward character zero shirt I did when I was back doing kind of pun shirts was like the Coca-Cola logo that said character. And then it said zero, like the Coke sure. zero. Yeah. Uh, can which lasted five minutes (laughs) yeah yeah and i sold a few of those but um this character zero one i don't know if you guys know the backstory with character zero at all like obviously don't know if it's 100 percent true but there's this whole backstory about trey in jamaica have you heard of that no i haven't heard this story fuck it i don't know it yeah tell the story because we i went to a thing in atlantic city last summer and tom marshall told the story about how character how they wrote character zero i actually recorded it and posted it on our socials but tell me the story it'll be interesting to see if it aligns oh nice yeah and I think I read this on Fishnet. I'd have to go back and look if it's in like, the, you know how Fishnet does like the song histories and all that stuff. So sure, the history, yeah, yeah. Anyhow, this, the story that I had heard was Trey was in Jamaica and people kept telling him that he ought to go see the man Mulcahy, right? Which is a lyric in Character Zero. It goes over and over again. And the man Mulcahy was a Jamaican DJ. 
So I created this shirt that was a Jamaican DJ with the DJ table and everything. And he's wearing like a, you know, a, a beret with the Jamaican flag colors on it. But the, be the best part of the concept was the Jamaican DJ guy was wearing my other character zero design. That was the, the Coca-Cola zero shirt. Right. But it was like, you'd have to zoom in a bit, you know, in order to, to see the shirt itself. And then on the outside of the you know there was kind of like a half moon shape that the dj was standing within and on the outside it said you ought to see the man mulcahy which is the lyric in the song right and i was like oh my gosh this is like so genius like, oh, i was so proud of it and i ended up mocking it up on a t-shirt and i sent it to my friends who you know we've all been seeing fish since 94 a lot of us had the same first fish show and they've seen more fish shows than i have and i sent it to them and they were like huh <laughs> like they just didn't get it at all. So I, I, I still, you know, the stubborn Scottish background in me still put it out there, put it on the Etsy shop, had it out there for like six months. And, you know, you always know because Etsy tells you if the shirt got views. So, you know, like, oh, a thousand people viewed that shirt and like not one bought it. So, you know, you're not even batting at 1%. So you might as well, you know, move on and do something different. So anyhow. Honestly, at this point of my character zero dislike, I would wear that shirt. I thought you still had shirts left. You don't have shirts left? I thought you had a box of those. I still have the design, so I'll, I'll mock one up for you. <laughs> yeah, I would I would totally wear it. No, no, no. The, fortunately, when, I, when that design came about was after I moved to on-demand uh, printing, so I didn't I didn't print up a bunch of them. Smart for you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Sa save me some money anyway, <laughs> for sure. Well, we are here uh, to talk about a show, obviously. So if you are not familiar with Stummy Down or this is your first time checking us out, welcome in. The premise of the show is that Skinny and I have been to a lot of concerts over the years, and we pull a ticket stub at random from those tickets that we have seen, and we use that show as a jumping off point to talk about, obviously, the music, our friendship, the funny things that happen along the way. This season, we brought in a lot of guests as stub downers, so today, Scott is going to be pulling the stub, and and stubbing Skinny and me down on a show of his choosing. So we are definitely excited about that. Skinny, anything else before we get into today's episode? No, I'm ready. <laughs> you do. You say no, but you always have something. All right, Scott Mitchell from Fan Designs. You ready to stub me and Skinny down today, man? I'm ready, guys. All right, buddy, tell us what you got. Great. So it's my pleasure to stub you down to October 9th, 1994, when Fish played in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania at the A.J. Palumbo Center. I feel like we're, we keep slip sliding backwards here, Skinny. This will be now the oldest show that we have done here on Stub Me Down. And 94 is a really wild year for Fish. They, do you know they played 123 shows in 1994? And I didn't see one of them. No. <laughs> that, this is the thing that I always say about Fish. I, I cannot believe that at some point living in downtown Baltimore, you know, all the shit that I did, like seeing music all those years, I never saw them. I knew they were at eight by 10. I knew they were at nine 30 club. 
Right. You know, I just never, never hit them. So 94 for me is like, I'm actually kind of intrigued about this show and, and to be set up for this because I have, I think this is like the big thing for me. I have zero fucking reference about a lot of shit lately. <laughs> yeah. I had a lot of fun prepping for today because getting into 94 in, you know, it's not a year that I'm super familiar with. You know, I couldn't probably name you three great 94 shows off the top of my head, right? Well, maybe Halloween, right? They did the Beatles uh, White Album for Halloween. This was the third show of a, let's see, I think it was a 46-show fall tour. 46-show fall tour. Now, granted, Jesus. it's almost 40, uh, 30 years later, they're playing an eight-show fall tour this fall so a little perspective um and fish now doesn't play more than you know 46 48 shows in a year you know that's still a band that is chasing it a lot of college campuses that they were on the first couple of shows were at lehigh and then george mason and then correct me if i'm wrong scott isn't this the palumbo center is on the campus of duquesne duquesne university yeah closer to downtown yeah I was at Pitt at the time. So you're talking about, you know, this college campus tour. You know, you're probably talking venues that hold, you know, a few thousand people, 3,000, 4,000 people. They're not huge rooms. I mean, they're hockey arenas, right? Yeah. Like, is this like a triple-A hockey arena? Uh, basketball, mainly. Basketball? Yep. Duquesne, Duquesne basketball. Yep. Okay. You get this unbelievable fall run. There's a lot of debuts uh, in 94 here. Hoist um, was, I think, the newest album that had come out. So they're certainly playing a lot of those songs, which are uh, a number of them are in this show. The 1994 sound, you know, and that's one thing we've talked about a few times, Skinny, is we've talked 97, we've talked 2000, we've talked about these different periods, 96, 95. 95. It's unbelievable how... Year after year after year, they did some things different to change up their sound regularly. And 94 is a much different sounding year, obviously, than now. But even 95, 96, you can definitely see the way the band was growing, developing, growing their catalog and their style of playing. And you get some of those one foot in towards 95 here in this fall tour. But then there's also obviously, you know, they're very solidly in that 94 sound as well. I really like this show. And also there's some interesting parallels. I alluded to this earlier. There's some interesting parallels. Oh my God. Are you already ready to like start talking about the show yet? Yeah. Aren't we talking about the show? 10 years in. Now they're 10 years in. And stats. You want to do stats or you want to do 10 years in? I have stats. All right. uh, All right. But wait. So we'll be breaking up 10 years in. You do 10 years in. So I'm not a stats guy, but I do have I do have two stats for you guys because I felt obligated to come to the show with a couple of stats. That's the influence that JW has on me. (laughs) Ah, Scott, thank you. You mentioned Hoist. Sorry six album from fish right in 94 so when i first started getting into fish before i went to the show i was listening to hoist and junta and those albums but it's pretty incredible to think back that fish was already six albums deep 
into the repertoire by the time they hit like fall of you know um 1994 so i thought that was kind of a, an incredible stat and then mm-hmm. the um the second one that i have for you is you guys were talking a couple of episodes ago with amanda from all that jam and two two nights before this show is the stabler show at lehigh university where they introduce you got you spent a, a bit of time talking about gaiute which you know is also on my top five song list so that resonated with me when you Whoa. talked yeah, about I it like previously right. and of course i missed it at this show but uh that show was just a couple of uh shows before this one as well nobody ever asks for stats on this show you didn't ask for them but i brought stats <laughs> i just give them i just come blocked and loaded with <laughs> all right i'm dumbfounded <laughs> yep <laughs> It's a good balance. <laughs> no, he just gives them. I was just saying, 10 years into any band, if they start doing well, obviously at this time, 94, they're touring. Yep. Josh, you mentioned it. I mean, how many shows are they doing in a year? That's a lot. They're in a different space. And I would tell you that 10 years in for them is probably huge. So when people talk about 1994, or you didn't see it or they want to chastise me because like I skipped it or whatever. I mean, I get it. I get it. I understand. And to me, this was like, this was one of the last years before I think that fish really blew up. So that, you know, one of the interesting things is I, I saw fish the following year in Pittsburgh, the next year of my college career as well. But when they came back to Pittsburgh in 95, they were playing the civic arena, which is the penguins stadium, right? You know? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And I'm pretty sure like that was sold out or very close to being sold out because I remember it was a hell of a crowd, but that's pretty incredible that they went from the AJ Palumbo center in one year to, you know, playing the the, uh, NHL hockey arena in the same town. So it was kind of a, you know, in my mind, it was a special time and had a lot of fun kind of looking back on this show and digging into it a little more. Well, and that feels like 94 was a little bit of a tipping point as far as the band's popularity. And then, you know, I think one thing that also changes a little bit is Jerry Garcia dies in 1995. And obviously I don't know because I was not in the scene at that time, but I would imagine that one of the reasons that, especially in that fall 95 tour, they see a little bit more of an influx in interest is... The Grateful Dead is is no longer, I don't want to say a competitor, but a, a another draw. We had that conversation, though, you know, with Peter Connors that came on our show. I don't know what season that was. Uh, he said that, like, right after that happened, it was a it was not a competition, but it was a it was an influx. You know, what I mean, like all of a sudden fish fan fan base got inundated with dead fans and that it was just a uh, right. I don't know if it was bad or good or whatever. I mean, I'm sure in certain points it was good, but it, it might have been bad too, but too many people. Honestly, the people that were probably a part of the fish scene complained. And the dead scene probably complained too. I mean, it was palatable back then. Like the lot scene started to change and get you know much fuller than it was before. I hadn't really thought about this until you brought it up, but right. you know, there definitely was that undertone of like, were, were you a fish fan or were you a dead fan that became a fish fan kind of thing that went on. Which is all bullshit. Yeah, yeah. And I think there was a lot of good things that happened, you know, yeah. because of that and the, you know, the influx of you know, a different fan base for sure that really helped fish propel and, and get to where they are today. But, um, but it definitely was felt for sure. Skinny, you want to get into this set a little bit here? 
Yeah, I definitely do. I mean, are you reading the first set or am I? Yeah, I'll do the first set. Oh, great. So I'll do the second. <laughs> Sounds good. You want me to do the encore, too? <laughs> you can do the encore, too. Both songs. <laughs> Scott, was this your first show? It was. First show. Yeah. First show. Skinny, we're going to have to do my first show on here. So. Yeah, and I honestly, I didn't even have a ticket to go, but a close friend of mine who lived next to me in, in the dorms at Pitt talked me into going down to the show. And Did you know about Fish at the time, or you were just like, uh, like you'd heard of them, but you didn't really know anything? Or like, where were you at as far as your relationship with the band? Or like, fuck those guys. <laughs> so I had, um, I, a friend of mine had gifted me Hoist. So I had listened to Hoist and then I went out to and bought Secondhand, which is kind of unbelievable at that time, the Junta album. And you liked Hoist when, when you first heard it? Because I mean, I liked, I definitely liked a lot of Hoist. And at, when we get into the show, you know, the, the show itself is kind of Hoist yes. heavy oh, as yeah. well to some degree. Yeah. So you know, I knew some of the songs that they were playing, but there were a lot of surprises in this show, you know, that when you're not like into the fish scene or you, you know, for me, like going to your first show that you just don't have expectations around. And we'll kind of talk about those as we kind of get through the song list. But, you know, he talked me into going down. I think the ticket was like 12 or 15 bucks. You know, we sweet. <laughs> rode the public bus downtown and you know went to the show and just had an unbelievable time it really left a mark it's you know i ended up walking out with a shirt that i still have today from the 1994 fall tour that my my wife now hand washes and everything what like on like a fucking like a board like a washboard and shit skinny it's, it's like jerry seinfeld's golden boy yeah that's golden boy they uh they were making shirts really high quality back then you know the the design stuck i mean the shirts faded and and all that stuff uh obviously it's not 50 50 (laughs) (laughs) it was just a testament to the the impact that the show had on me that i had you know i didn't have enough money to buy a shirt but i was like i gotta commemorate this experience and walked uh walked to merch after the encore wrapped up and waited in a short line and, and picked one up. All right, let's take a look at the first set from the AJ Palumbo Center in Pittsburgh on October 9th, 1994. Uh, never miss a Sunday show, huh? This was a Sunday back in uh, 94. I did not Google who AJ Palumbo was. We'll talk about that later. We will. The band comes out <laughs> The band comes out and opens with Runaway Jim, Foam. Fast Enough for You, into The Curtain, into Dogface Boy, into Split Open and Melt, and they close the first with Squirming Coil. So you get a Runaway Jim foam opener, which... Skinny. I've got stats. The band has played Runaway Jim into foam 55 times as a pairing. Did you know that? Holy shnikes. I I like some Runaway Jim. <laughs> this one's not that long. It's only eight minutes. The foam is longer. Yeah. You know what is crazy is that one more stat to follow up here before we get into this particular discussion, but Runaway Jim foam just opened Alpharetta on July 15th. It was just this past Saturday. So... I haven't listened to a note of that, and I won't. I'm going to MSG, so I'll see him in the house. I'm not listening to anything, by the way. Okay. 
I'm just telling you what they played. I'm just saying. I'm not listening to anything until I'm in the house. Okay. I'm not, I'm not asking you if you heard it. I'm talking about the statistics <laughs> that in 1994, the show we're talking about, they opened the same way that they opened the Saturday night show two days ago. Which I just thought was very interesting. I think it's cool. And then yeah. the whole 55 times Runaway Jim into foam. That's a lot. That's a pretty big chunk of one after the other. Yeah. You know what I mean? I like this Runaway Jim, but there's no way in hell this would be like on the tops. No, it's short. It's just, it's a great opener. Like Runaway Jim's a great way to start the show. And Scott, you know, you're hearing your first notes. I mean, what do you remember from the band coming on stage, lights, kind of that first couple of notes, which, you know, you only have that experience once, right? Yeah, no, absolutely. And and first of all, I love Runaway Jim openers because I think the tempo of that song really, you, you can't not dance, at least, you know, I can't not dance to a Runaway Jim, yeah. period. But when it comes out and they hit those first few notes and it gets you going, real high energy in this case, like got the crowd moving, having a lot of fun. The layout of the arena was uh, was a bit strange because the stage, if you're thinking about like a basketball oval, the stage is not in the center but along one of the so- the long sides of the oval. Right. So we were we started and it was all GA. So we started the show up in the bleachers, ah. you know, where the chairs were. Um, great great sight lines and everything from what I can remember of the of the stage. You know, fairly small stage in comparison to anything that you would obviously see today but I, I think fairly small even for you know back in a lot of these 90s shows where they were doing that because of the way that it, the arenas laid out great sight lines great tempo great opener i'll take a runaway gym opener any day i mean i just love it it's one of my i, I would say top five openers that that fish pulls off because it just kind of gets you in the in the groove and ready to go and sets the stage for what's to come i think hello i've never heard that <laughs> At runaway gym is a top five i'll take it because yeah. <laughs> foam next is not a top yeah i'm with you on foam like not one of my favorites but uh it's just too janky yeah as the kids like to say j-dub i don't have any problem with foam put it in the you know the fishy category of, with like meat you know like it's one of those tunes that they play believe it or not this was a very this was played a lot more frequently than you would expect and it was i think because they played it so heavily after it debuted in 88 but it averages every five shows of foam which is crazy from what time to what time Uh, that's just from when they started playing it to now now obviously that's you know mathematically they're breaking up but there's also been, you know, since 96, it's been more infrequent. So they really jammed it in in those first eight years. And then it's become a little bit, you know, more rare. My first, actually our first skinny was um, July 3rd, 2000. And that was at a 90 show gap. So, um, you know, by the time we get to late 1.0 and into the other versions of fish, foam has fallen off a little bit but they did just play it the other night fast enough for you the next tune 1992 debut so this was still a little bit on the newish side in 1994 but i would say that at this point in the band's career fast enough for you is probably one of the 
most favorite and sought after chased ballads that the band plays. Like, you know, not a lot of people are going to complain about getting a, a fast enough. Um, real nice solo from Trey there, like super passionate, really kind of had a lot of heartfelt kind of peaks in there, um, I, which, you know, that really stuck out. Not very long, you're talking just a little over six minutes, but it was it was definitely a pretty emotional version. Well, I like the song. I want to hear what Scott likes about Fast Enough for You, and then I'm going to critique this guy's T-shirt from 2014. <laughs> <laughs> Just going back real quick to Runaway Jim, because Skinny, you didn't sound convinced that Runaway Jim is a top five opener <laughs> for fish, so I took a personal <laughs> exception to that. And I'll give you a little bit of evidence. If you go and listen to this show on Relisten mm-hmm. at the very beginning, because I know also from the previous episodes that you love when people scream you know, during the show. The guy's like so excited. I called it. I called it. I knew it. I knew it. And then he says, I called it again. And <laughs> uh, it lasts for like the first minute of the song. But right? the excitement is <laughs> yeah. palatable from that yeah. guy. And it wasn't, I'm pretty sure that wasn't me because I, I wasn't <laughs> smart enough back then to call a runaway gym opener. But there's w- at least one other guy that goes to fish shows that gets really excited with runaway gym openers. So I, I like fast enough for you. I mean, it, it kind of brought the tempo back down in this particular show that I think you touched on the guitar solo in the middle and those kinds of things, which, you know, were great moments. But to me, it's a, you know, chill out a little bit, regain your composure, yeah. you know, get ready to turn the dial up, uh, you know, again. So, but enjoyed it. This was an interesting segment of the set too, because you get the fast enough, you get the curtain with no width. Yeah. And then you get the dog face boys. So it's a little bit, you, you know, you're only talking what the third, fourth and fifth songs in, and they kind of dialed back the energy a little bit. Yep. Interestingly, most people are going to know the curtain width, right? And Fish hasn't played a curtain without the width in... Actually, Skinny, we were at the last time they did that. We talked about this, and I was like, because I don't know the difference. <laughs> <laughs> I'm t- Full disclosure, I'm an idiot. Go ahead, J-Dub. <laughs> so for those of you that are not familiar in it and you know maybe some are I, I, I don't I don't know I I, I, I want to um, cater to the the least educated among us um, my hands raised yes <laughs> curtain with debuted in 1987 in 1988 they shelved the with part of curtain with for 12 years so they only played just the curtain. And then the width was always like this extra kind of like second jam that was tacked on. And that came back in July of 2000 at Deer Creek, uh, 7-12-2000. There were only from 7-12-2000 to now two times that a curtain appeared without a width. And those were September 9th, 2000 and then day three of Super Bowl Skinny. July 3rd, 2011 at Watkins Glen. Oh. Otherwise, it's always had the width. Now, of course, I'm sure if anybody is familiar with the band's history, even generally, they know that the last song that Fish played at Coventry was The Curtain With. Well, we were there. We were there. But Trey 
fucked up the width and started it in the wrong key. And after they realized it, he said, oh, shit, I started that in the wrong key. I'm going to start the width over. I kind of remember that a little bit. And so that was like the last memory, I mean, at least from 2004 to 2009, was that fucked up curtain width. I spent a lot of time, as you can tell, researching the curtain and the width and the withouts and I can tell then they played Dogface Boy which was a 1994 debut and this goes back to kind of what we were talking about a little bit before you've got the hoist songs but you're still talking about a band that is constantly bringing out new music live and working it out this was the 17th time they had played Dogface Boy and that had debuted in April at the Beacon Theater so they definitely have that Dialed back feeling in the middle of this set, but that all changes with the split open and melt that they drop next. Which, by the way, Scott, I know you had to do some homework like I have to do. You picked the show. Skinny doesn't do homework. I I did. (laughs) I did on this one. Fuck you, Josh. The split has this like old school feel. I want to hear what you have to yeah, yeah. you know say about the split. No, and look, if you go back to what we were talking about with the albums before, this was a song that was familiar to me at the time, and I think this particular iteration of it, I really liked a lot, and when I went back and listened to it, there's like, you know, there's always that kind of chaotic middle and split open and melt where you almost like feel like things are falling apart. And to me, it's like almost an uneasy or uncomfortable feeling. Like you almost just want them to to bring it back. That's a great description. On this show, it felt like they did that for like four or five minutes. I mean, I have to go back and look at the clock, but you're just like so ready for them to like bring the structure back because things are getting chaotic and and falling apart. And that's something that really uh, stuck with me um, for this show. But, you know, love the song. I thought this was a good iteration of it that seemed to have that extended chaotic period in the middle you know hit all the buttons for me i really enjoyed it well i'll tell you what button it hits for me is right out of the box the very beginning of the song i kind of got that 94 sound right away just from this yeah and the transition between Dogface boy and split open and melt is like kind of like one of those in your face kinds of transition i think you know uh, to what you're saying skinny so it's a high snare high hat that just like hits you right in your face it's like a jab to the face right to your like nose yep. and then all bets are off which is like that's what a split's like and then the squirming coil is awesome because I love that song, and there's always the piano outro, but the piano outro is like fucking, I don't know, what is that, Josh, like 20 minutes long? (laughs) Yeah, yeah. (laughs) If you're not familiar, this is the version of Squirming Coil that is featured on a live one, which Uh. I'm sure for especially fans that got started in the 90s like me, a live one was the first live fish CD I ever owned. And to listen to that outro, I mean, it's gorgeous, it's flowing, it's sentimental, it's probably one of the most magical versions of Squirming Coil that I've heard. Obviously, the band thing thought very highly of it to put it on the live one, but it's a super dancey version, too. I mean, it's a little bit up-tempo, the, the first part of it. Fishman's got, like, an up-tempo beat that's just... You know, it's a little bit more 
groovy than, you know, maybe your typical coil might be these days, which, you know, I just absolutely dug. As far as the split open and melt, like, that version was only 10 minutes. They played a version the last night of Alpharetta, this tour that was 15, that was also super hot, but the compactness of this version matches the intensity of the longer version that they played, you know, just last night. Yeah, the coil is longer than the split, which is a fucking, that's a weird thing. Right, which is crazy. Actually, second longest song of the show, right? I think only beat by second set, YEM. But, um, you know, everything that you said, Josh, like, definitely resonated with me the piano outro is unbelievable especially for a first time wait i said that oh i'm sorry i think we both said it give credit <laughs> give credit where credit is due i think you both might have said it but uh anyhow i love the piano outro and to just have Paige finish it get up and then walk off the you know say a few words about taking a set break and walk off the stage right you know it just kind of leaves you with that feeling like your you know your heart has just been massaged or something along those lines you know you know the other thing scott is you look at these last two songs of the set so split open and melt is this furious fiery version super ragey you know you said it all you know all you feel almost unsettled there's (laughs) you know this almost frenetic nature of it right and then the next song is squirming coil and they play six minutes of it as the song and you know i saw satan on the beach and blah 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 and then the last four is this absolutely blissful grand piano solo and it just is it's such a dichotomy for you know what you're seeing right in 20 minutes you're seeing this completely almost unhinged unsettled raging jam and then you, a few minutes later you're seeing this you know beautiful elegant piano solo it's just i just find after however many years 25 years of seeing fish i just still am amazed at how they can combine so many feelings into a short period of time. I mean, you're talking 20 minutes and you're going to jam in all the feels over that period. Josh really likes the squirming coil. <laughs> yeah, yeah. What the fuck? I really do, man. And I love the I love the split up amount. Dude, I hadn't heard this show before, Scott, and I fucking loved it. Great. I'm glad I could bring it to you. You know, to your point, it's a, it's like an emotional roller coaster, right? And I think few bands can do that with such skill 100%. as Fish. There's something to be said for like when Fish gets into like the the jam, which you know tends, in my opinion, tends to frequent more in second set than first set, where you're just kind of in that groove for an extended period of time. But sure. there's also something to be said for those ups and downs of feelings as you're kind of moving through. And I think, you know, as you said it, the transitions here Agreed. from the runaway gym peak to, you know, slowing down with fast enough for you to the curtain and dog face and whatnot, it, it, you really feel that the kind of emotional roller coaster. Spot on. Ugh. Can you guys stop already? (laughs) All right. Let's review the first set from the AJ Palumbo Center on October 9th, 1994. You didn't get the feels? Dude, he's so mad at me right now. The band opens. Fucking idiot. 
<laughs> with Runaway Jim, Skinny, I love you, dude. You're the best. I do too. I like Runaway you. Jim, Foam, Fast Enough for You, Into the Curtain, Into Dogface Boy, Into Split Open Melt, and they close the set with an epic squirming coil memorialized on a live one. Skinny, set two. Oh, I got this one, I think. <laughs> Did you Shit. Google it or do you have like an actual fish reference that you're looking at? No, I got this. Uh, all right. So uh, okay. same show. <laughs> David Bowie begins the set bouncing around the room. Son of a mule. You enjoy myself. Amazing Grace, which, by the way, is no mics on. I got a little bit of an issue. Anyway, Julius contact possum and then the encore sleeping monkey and poor heart so there's a lot to talk about here but we can start with the bowie which yeah i mean what are your feelings on a bowie second set opener i'm dying to know after your you trashed runaway jim first set opener (laughs) (laughs) you and me both scott i love bowie second set opener Oh, there we go. Phew. <laughs> I'd rather have a Bowie second set opener than a disease. And I believe, I don't know. What kind of disease? I don't know when it was. The down gotcha. with disease. It's every show I fucking go to. And so that's not true, but it's 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 largely, yeah, culpable. <laughs> I don't even know what that means. Anyway, I love this David Bowie to open. And then... For me, I'm just going to couple it with the bouncing. Now, I, I know it's like a, a song that everybody's heard or everybody heard in high school, but I will tell you this story, and I haven't told it on this podcast before. So bouncing is the song that Josh played for me. He's like, oh, check these guys out. Wait, bouncing is the first song I played for you? Oh, my God. I don't fucking remember that. We can go back to the Bowie. You guys can do whatever you want, but... Uh, I think Bouncing was the first one. Now, I did understand that it was only like a shorter tune, but what they did with it in that short amount of time, I guess somehow meant something to me. So I glommed onto it right away. I mean, well, within like a week. David Bowie, I absolutely love in the second set opener slot. I definitely think that that's something that they could do more of. This version is a lot of fun. Like, they get through the formal part of it. They kind of, like, dive down a little bit around five minutes and mellow out. And then all of a sudden, they develop into this, like, dark, you know, a little bit back alley, a little bit funky groove. And then there's just this furious climb. And honestly, in... The fish catalog, there are a lot of peaks, but there is nothing quite like a David Bowie peak. When they fucking nail it, this is a 13 minute version, almost 14 minutes, and the peak hits at, you know, like 12.50, right? And then they and then they bring it down, and it's just super, super fire. This is, this is a good version, yeah. regardless of the length. Yeah, I agree with everything you guys said. I think the interesting thing that happened with us is the at, during the set break, 
we we ended up because the whole arena was uh ga we ended up moving down and we got pretty close to the rail and then kind of like jiggled our way in without pissing anybody off and being respectful and all that and my buddy steve and i were right on the rail when they when they came out for the for the bowie and then to have something like that that's so high energy with like a crazy peak being right on the rail right in front of the band and you know i i will tell you right now like i'm not yeah yeah it's like your first sip of alcohol i mean it's almost like the feeling sticks with you you know and there's been that pretty much the only fish show that i was ever at the rail and you know things were different back then i think you know people didn't like get there and then camp out and you know hold it the whole time you know there weren't tarps on the floor or anything like that so it was a little bit easier to kind of have that experience and you know we were fortunate enough to kind of not hit the bathroom and go directly down there and like wait for people to kind of shift around a little bit so it was a lot of fun great experience and then to have that you know high energy bowie with a you know great peak right in right in your face and you know can't get any closer was a pretty pretty great experience yeah i think the last time that jw and i were down close was when they had east and west at msg i think we were maybe in 2012 we we're like right in front of page maybe like you know two rows if there were rows you know but it was ga yeah to be that close again that's another conversation which we might have to have is the rail rider conversation which is now it's become a thing to be a rail rider where it's like before i mean we're talking not even 10 years ago it's like you, there was no real rider. It was just like you're up close, like good for you. You got like nobody was riding the rail to get attention. It's a weird thing, man. I it's difficult to talk about. <laughs> status. It's a it's status. And you know what? Yeah. I look at it this way. Everybody everybody likes to do their show a certain way. I think everybody's developed that over years of seeing fish and. Yes. That doesn't happen to be our particular way to, to do this band. However, it is an experience to see them up close. I can't imagine seeing them up close my first show, you know, and being that close to hear, you know, a Bowie. And then, honestly, like, bouncing around the room, that has to be the most mainstream fish song right the most recognizable like you know probably the closest that they ever came to like a radio hit right or disease like either one of those two well did they ever have a video for bouncing around the room no they had had disease yeah the disease video (laughs) it was on beavis and butthead yeah (laughs) i could tell you from my experience bouncing was like mind-boggling one because we were on the rail and two because we see this dude come out with trampolines and again like i talked at the beginning of the show like think about seeing that with no expectation that anything like that would happen you know at a concert and it's not like i hadn't been to concerts before but i hadn't been to a concert before where they bring out two trampolines and you know people are bouncing on them while they're playing so that was a pretty memorable experience regardless of you know the the mainstream and the shortness of the song i mean it's pretty short bouncing wait they were jumping on the trampolines during bouncing here bouncing around the room yeah Did they do also do that in the You Enjoy Myself? I'm pretty sure, unless I'm, you know, I, I mean, it's quite possible that I'm mixing thoughts up and it was during YM, yeah. <laughs> I mean, we're talking 29 years ago. Like, it's yeah. all right if it's a... And here's another thing. Maybe they bought the trampolines out when you were in the rail and then 
it's only scent of a mule, which, by the way, I'm going to bypass. And then right. <laughs> you enjoy myself. And then they're bringing them out. You know what I mean? The last thing I'll say about the bouncing is, you know, as far as it being like maybe, per, you know, perhaps the most mainstream tune. And it's, you know, it might not be like on the list of like, oh, you're learning fish. I might not put it in the top five, but, you know, somebody might. But the only originals that have been played more than bouncing around the room in the band's history are You Enjoy Myself. Chalk Dust. No. Let's see if you can guess. You Enjoy Myself is one. Can you guess there's, we'll call it four others. Fucking. I'll give you each one guess because I don't want to, we don't have to take too long here. Skinny, I'll give you one guess. Go ahead. What's one other song that has been played more than Yem and Bouncing Around the Room. I said Chalk Dust. Am I wrong? Okay, no, you're wrong. Fuck off. <laughs> Scott, how about you? I, I, I'm not even sure what to guess. Yeah. <laughs> That's even better. Fuck off, Scott. What is it? <laughs> well, so here it is. So it's Mike's song and We Kapa Groove. Uh, <laughs> one, two, three, four. And Skinny, you're going to like this one. Golgi Apparatus. Oh, there you go, yeah. And then the last one is Possum. So, and then Bouncing is the next one. So, it is a fish staple. I feel like Bouncing has gone through, like, fans love it, fans hate it, and now fans have come back to love it. I have always loved it. I have, I will never apologize for loving Bouncing Around the Room. It, it for me, is a quintessential fish song. I put it up there with You Enjoy Myself in Disease. Yeah, I don't, I don't mind it at all. I mean, it's a fun song, and this instance is pretty short at, like, three-something-odd minutes, so, you know, it didn't take up a lot of space, and, you know, just kind of got everybody grooving again, so... It's it's just a fun thing. The harmonizing is cool. And like the first time you hear it, you're seeing it, like you're right there. Like it sounds cool. Yeah. It just sounds cool. And after the intensity of, of Bowie, you know, it's kind of like, you know, you got to give it a break for a minute and have some, you know, have a little bit of more lighthearted fun, right? <laughs> sure, yeah. sure. And they do get even a little bit more lighthearted fun with the scent of a mule, which Skinny doesn't want to talk about. The only thing I'll mention here totally true. is that this is another hoist tune. This is also another 1994 debut. So this is another song that they just started playing this year. This was the 28th version. So, I mean, granted, when you play 120-something shows in one year, and their catalog was significantly smaller than it is now, obviously. It's like three years of marriage. (laughs) 20 years. (laughs) Who gives a shit? (laughs) Read the history and the lyrics to that song. It's... Skinny, you just don't like laser beams, I think, right? Well, the, I think the highlight, the centerpiece of this set is the You Enjoy Myself. Obviously, that comes next. Uh, 20, almost 23 minutes. It's a beautiful piece. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So much in there, too. Scott, what do you like in there? I think the the You Enjoy Myself is interesting. Again, like, you know, we were talking about expectations. You go into a song like that with no expectations, and it stretches out 22 you know, minutes of, of jamming and bliss sections. There's a whole audience clapping section, which is super loud on the on the tape when you listen back to this show. Yeah. yeah. And then there's a crazy dark vocal jam, right? And I think I'd have to go back and look at my own stats, but I think I've seen like I, I've seen a, a few of the vocal jams in YEMs before. And one that I, I remember quite vividly was one at Merriweather where my wife like almost had to leave the 
arena because it was like we were so close to the stage and it was just getting like super intense and it was like you know we talked about in split open and melt when like things get chaotic and like leave you with this like unsettled feeling and she's like you know getting ready to to walk out to get a little bit of space between her and the i need a cab i, I don't know that this one was super intense but at the time like not ever hadn't heard that before it definitely you know left a mark trampolines coming out and all that stuff not seeing that before yeah. you know in the right song here uh, with my um, yeah uh, which i'm pretty sure you're correct about so it was just the whole experience watching all that stuff kind of unfold right in front of him that's amazing yeah. trey has a really like little slick guitar solo around 11 minutes that yeah. is yeah just super smooth and that melds into a full band jam really nice tension build up around like the 13 minute mark and then you get like gordon doing a little bit of a bass jam towards like the 16 17 minute mark which was you know you're right there's a lot packed into this 22 minutes including a vocal jam which i know skinny is probably not a big fan of but this one definitely had a little bit of like a whatever bathroom aj palumbo center had i would have been in it <laughs> it definitely had a little you know kind of darker spookiness and that bridged into amazing grace which by the way can i just full disclosure too on this one yeah i'm like i thought it was re-listened I'm like, what the fuck is the problem in my car? I'm like, you got to turn it way up. <laughs> I did. So I had it up to like 68 or 59. Yeah. And I couldn't hear it. And so I can't hear it. So you have to describe what that's like. So you're close. They go off mic. What happens? Because you can't hear shit. There's no uh, yeah, yeah. re-listenability at all to that. And I was confused the first three times we talked, Josh and I did. Like, what the fuck? I'm like, he's like, they're off mic. And then I talked to you, I think it's Peach. And I'm like, is that an off mic? And I think you told me. So what happens? I think it it's really cool when they do it. I mean, especially coming out, like you think about the ending of the um, You Enjoy Myself. And then they put their instruments down. They walked to the other side of the stage from what I can remember. So they weren't right in front of us, but they were right in front of a group of people, you know, kind of, um, I guess it was uh, yeah, page. I'm trying to rethink. I think it was page uh, side just in front of the piano. And they all get together in kind of that that group like. Uh, um, yeah, yeah. I've, I've seen that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the usually they put a mic out there. Yeah, and usually there's a mic in the middle, but I mean, these shows were so small that they sang loud enough that it resonated through the arena. So, I mean, it was, again, it was pretty wild because coming off of that, we were talking a little bit earlier about kind of the emotional roller coaster, right? Like you just had this like crazy build up and peak and, you know, all sorts of wild stuff that happens in YEM. And then you get this really like soft, you know, acapella version you know, of this, this song and amazing grace means a lot to me and my family. Cause my family's from emigrated from Scotland. So it's like, you know, played at my aunt's funeral a few years ago, which obviously was much way after the show, but it's a song that I grew up on and was oftentimes played in our house among other, you know, tunes like this. So it was like, it was a pretty crazy experience to hear them do that right in front of us. And then 
particularly when you put it into context coming out of the rest of this second set and you know all those kinds of things so it, it definitely is something that stuck with me and it, it, you know it also like growing up i always liked bands that had a lot of different range and could do a lot of things and i think you could argue like fish is one of the best bands in this right like you know, you can have a crazy intense peak in, you know, a song like David Bowie or, you know, a vocal jam and you enjoy myself and then completely see a totally different side of the band, you know, that's just sweet and heartfelt and, you know, not trying to accomplish, you know, a ton, but has a different feeling that, that resonates with you. And then everybody is behind whatever that resonance is, you know I mean? And that's why I think a lot of times, Scott, we've talked about this and, and JW and I have, it's like, you're at a show and like no matter what happens good or bad you're you're good with it yeah it is what it is like i know we break down shows or whatever i first of all don't know what the fuck i'm talking about <laughs> but but also <laughs> i think you do <laughs> a little bit but also the the premonition that you're with somebody and you're having that conversation i think to me is like the best part of it i think the conversation to me is like the most beautiful if you go back and look at the notes on this tour as well, I mean, this is back when Fish was still doing a lot of acoustic stuff as right. well. And I'll tell you, like, you know, even at the Clifford Ball, like, they did, like, the acoustic mini sets and stuff like that. I love that part of Fish. Like, I wish they would bring some of that back. They used to bring stools up to the front of the stage right. and all sit around and do a few acoustic tunes. Like, I loved that deviating from you know an otherwise like really intense set like give you time to they did that one of the sets at um festival eight yeah in uh, india they did a like a day set that was uh, acoustic and they have a lot of songs that translate really well out of that medium too you know plus they can cover yeah yeah is, by the way whatever he's <laughs> complaining about goose about i'm like why are you can we stop the podcast <laughs> <laughs> not that tangent Believe it or not, here's a stat. And who fucking knew that Amazing Grace had fish stats? But wow. it does. Let's hear it. For sure. Yeah. First of all, they debuted it in 1993 at the Portland Expo. And Fish has played Amazing Grace. You're gonna, this is going to blow your fucking mind. I'm waiting. 111 times. 111 times. When's the last time it was played? Yes. Give me a year. Just throw out a year. 2000. 2000. No. Scott? Uh, I'm, I'm torn. I, I'd probably say like 99 maybe. Yeah, 98. 98, close, yeah. October 3rd. They, they should bring it back. Bring October it back. October 3rd, yeah. 98, Tinley Park. So honestly, that's something that, like I was looking at this and I was like, oh, wow, they did Amazing Grace. Like that's very cool and unique. And obviously we've seen plenty of acapella stuff, but... I guess, I, you know, 111 times, that's, that's a crazy number for an acapella tune. Julius followed the Amazing Grace. Julius, another 1994 debut, another hoist tune, another tune that Skinny doesn't like. Oh, really? What, what's your beef with Julius? Uh, I just think it's janky, and I have never liked it. It's not like, listen, I've seen it a bunch of times. I get why all the whoops like it. Everybody's <laughs> fine. I'm cool with it. I just don't like it. That's yeah. all. That's it. Julius is a pretty frequent appearance in sets. The biggest gap that I could find was 39 shows. And actually, Skinny, you were at the last time that was played at the beginning of that gap, which was Charleston in December. 
And Charleston Night 3. <laughs> yeah, I was at that show, too. <laughs> yeah, we, we had fun in Charleston. Yes, we did. Scott was there. December 4th, 19, uh, 2019, and then they didn't play it again until uh, October 22nd, 2021. Oh, my God. I love this episode. Scott, you were there. Yeah, and Skinny, I think that's the... We were just talking about bike. I think that's when they did the acapella bike, if I yes, remember correctly as well, true. right? Yeah. <laughs> that's too funny. Yeah. Dude, there was so much going on in there. Like, oh my, I just like yeah. got my master's degree at 49. It was like, it was a mess of a weekend. But it was fun as shit. You know, it's funny about, it's funny about Hoist because I, when I first heard hoist i was maybe a senior in high school i'd gotten it through like you know my like bmg cd club (laughs) subscription and i fucking hated it uh but i love julius i got no problems with julius it's a great it's a great rocker the julius contact possum thing was pretty cool though yeah it was a good segue yeah right and that's what i was and that's what I was getting to was that's a nice little the way they kind of sandwiched the contact in between the Julius and the Possum. Possum's great contact is is you know yeah I think you either like contact or you hope they never fucking play it again. I particularly <laughs> like contact. I like you know kind of the underlying message. You know keep your keep your fucking feet on the ground, your tires on the road, and everything will be cool. And then the possum was, uh, I mean, the possum brought the house down. I absolutely thought this possum version was super fire, uh, just over 10. But, you know, there was a time when everybody hated possum, too. I've never gone through a period where I hated possum. Possum's a great tune. And, you know, a lot of mic tunes in this. I feel like there's a lot of mic tunes in this show as well. I mean, you got the possum. You've got the cinema mule. You've got, in the first set, the foam you know so there's definitely some mic influence here oh wait a minute scott what do you think about sleeping monkey and poor heart because now apparently this was a weird encore well now we're right in the midst of the encore tour so you might want to talk about encores because sleeping monkey poor heart that's like I'm not saying that's wild or weird. I'm saying it's kind of weird. Before we started talking about the show, I, I hadn't thought about this like this roller coaster theme that we keep talking about now, right? And it's evident more in the first set, but you could see it in the second set as well. We just talked about it with Amazing Grace, right? And, you know, kind of coming down off of that, and even the Julius Contact Possum thing is kind of a little bit of a roller coaster ride. Oh, absolutely. Um, you know, I from what I recall, like the possum just left everybody reeling as it usually does right the encore break was pretty short i think there's a i can't remember what it is but if i recall correctly there's pretty tight curfew at aj palumbo um and then sleeping monkey i love the song and uh, you know i thought it was a, a good rendition of sleeping monkey i think it goes back to what we were talking about of like you know not knowing what to expect in a first show and walking away with like this feeling that this band has like amazing range from like you know the peaks and valleys that we're talking about on the roller coaster ride to something like so quirky like sleeping monkey right you know with yeah. the singing and all that stuff and like people either love or hate that song but i always have so much fun yeah right and it still has a tempo like you're saying so and then you're following it up with a poor heart 
Yeah, and Poor Heart's not bad. I mean, it was pretty short, a couple minutes, so it just kind of like rounded out the the end of the Sleeping Monkey, and then they sent us on our way. Yeah. But as somebody that leaves encores, like prolifically. <laughs> oh yeah, I didn't know that about you. You didn't. I no. thought I fucking told you that. I mean, I knew that you rolled into Peach like five hours after it started, but uh, you know. Casey and I are like texting you at noon. We're here. You guys heading up to the band? And you're like, oh, we're just getting up. <laughs> no, we don't sleep in. I'm yeah. like, we're getting lunch. And then, but anyway. <laughs> I'm going to apparently have to stay for the encore because the next fucking episode we record, Josh is definitely going to mention that. Like, oh, I didn't see ya. After Friday night at Fish in New York, I'm going to be fucked. Anyway, can I read this second set? What? Why is there a pause? I said, yeah. All right. So, uh, Fish from the AJ Palumbo Center from 10994 Pittsburgh, PA. Is it really downtown Pittsburgh, Scott? It's just north of, like, the downtown commercial area. Uh, Duquesne's there, and then the next university up the street is the University of Pittsburgh, where I went. All right, cool. I I just don't want to get my ass kicked. (laughs) (laughs) David Bowie, bouncing around the room, son of a mule, you enjoy myself, amazing grace, Julius into contact, into possum, and the encore, sleeping monkey into poor heart. J-Dub. I mean, this this show, I think one of the things that I, I just absolutely love about it is it has, it, it encompasses everything that Fish is, even now in 2023, right? They, they have the quirkiness, the kind of the fishiness, right, with some of the songs like Contact, Sleeping Monkey. They have the absolute raging jams with the Bowie uh, the jam section of the You Enjoy Myself. They have some bluegrass. They have some acapella. They have some hard rock in there. They have some, you know, touching solos and heartfelt lyrics. They have all of those things. You know, it's not necessarily the love and light type of songs that you, that, you know, Trey has written after, you know, 30 years hence of experience and, and all of that stuff. But, I think everything that Fish is now really still is encompassed in this show here. And man, Scott, I'm just so glad we had the opportunity to, to talk to you not only about fan designs uh, and your kind of entry into the music scene, but one of the reasons that I love absolutely doing this with Skinny is having guests on to talk about their experiences and how these shows that they've seen have been launch pads or been significant moments and this obviously was one for you and it really comes through in the quality of this show but I think in the way you described it and how you felt being there and what you were seeing and the range that the band had you know you mentioned that a couple times is the is their range and seeing that your first time out uh, that's just super cool man so thank you so much for joining us and, and sharing this with us and 94 is a year i need to learn more about for sure just overall but i mean you know it's 123 shows there's a lot to get into there thank you man this was a great show 
No, it's been a lot of fun. And I think a testament to this show is that, you know, made me a lifelong fish fan as well as one of my closest friends uh, who, who also had this as their first show. Um, so had a little bit of everything and really, you know, kind of demonstrated the band's range and flexibility. And, and look, at the end of the day, we go to shows because of the experience and the fun and meeting people and, you know, the, the uh, mark that that leaves on our life. And this show certainly did that for me. So uh, really appreciative that I had the opportunity to go and go on this journey that's led in so many different directions and appreciate everything that you guys do as well. So thank you for the support and the opportunity to come on. Dude, and, and the best part is we're friends. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so absolutely. everybody's like, who is this fucking guy? Well, wait a minute. I, we, well, I don't know. After you dissed Runaway Jim opener, I'm not. I'm not so sure this friendship's gonna last, Skinny. But uh, that's gonna well, stick with me, Scott, buddy. I like Runaway Jim as an opener, bro. So we're still. Good. I'm just teasing you. Friends always. Hey, listen, Scott. We're so appreciative of you, and uh, we just love having you on. It's like uh, having a conversation. I know people that listen, they're like, oh, it's like having a conversation with your people. And it, it really is. So uh, besides being our people, please let everybody know out there like where they can connect with you, give you a bunch of plugs. So it's all you. Yeah. And, and thank you to you both. I mean, I appreciate our friendship and I appreciate all the support that you guys provide myself and fan designs and everything else. And we've had a lot of really exceptional experiences together at a whole variety of different shows. So I'm definitely looking forward to keeping those going. Scott also, hold on, I'm just going to interrupt you for one quick second. Scott also designed our new Stummy Down logo and sticker. So if you see us, me or Skinny on at, you know, at any shows this summer around the Baltimore area, I'm going to be advertising the pod as we walk around. But um, Scott is an amazing graphic artist. The Stummy Down logo is, is pretty dope. Well, thanks for all the kindness. I really appreciate it. It was a fun project and I was honored that you guys asked me to do it. So thanks so much for that and for the opportunity. Um, I think everyone knows where to find my stuff, Skinny, because you you mentioned it at the end of every show, But which again, I'm super appreciative of. Yes, it's fan designs with a PH on the front and a Z on the end, or find me on Etsy or fandesigns.com. But again, uh, thanks so much, guys. Appreciate it. We also always want to just throw a quick shout out to our friends over at The Lot. I think as an organization, The Lot is on a hiatus, but all of those shops are still visible on The Lot's website, couchstore.com or the lot by primalsoup.com. A, a lot of great merch um, and some non-traditional things you might also find over there. My wife got me a pretty sweet watch band from You Enjoy My Vegan. And so a lot of great merch and uh, more importantly some great people in our community Craig and Carrie are great friends of ours and we always want to give our friends a shout out no need to give fan designs a shout out because we had that on today skinny if you want to check us out on the socials we're still on reddit we're still on twitter we're still on instagram and actually skinny we now have a threads account Anyway, it's all stub underscore me underscore down. So if you're looking for us out there on the socials, you can find us. You can also Google us. We are available wherever you get your favorite podcasts from. We want to thank Scott Mitchell from Fan Designs for joining us here today and talking about October 9th, 1994, Fish at the Palumbo Center in Pittsburgh. Great show. Great example of what Fish was in 94. And 
even though Skinny didn't like the stats, he learned something today. I love you. I love you too, man. Scott, we love you. Scott, thanks so much, man. We appreciate you. Skinny, I love you. And, of course, we love all our listeners. Can't wait to see you guys on tour. We'll be out there next week. And we will see you the next time you need to get out of your shitty seats and down to the path. Scott, later. We'll see you soon. Thanks, Scott.